on before time began. You are on your throne. You are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You are God alone. You are God alone. From before time every heart and every life given. Let your peace and your glory minister to us. We thank you for the great grace of the Almighty God, the wonderful blessings and favor from heaven. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, my Jesus. Blessed be thy name, thy holy name. Thank God. And everybody said praise the Lord. Well, if you have a Bible this morning, let us take a look at the word of the Lord. Happy for each and every one of you that's here this morning. It's good to be in God's house. And we want to definitely entertain the good presence of the Lord. We want Him right here in our midst. Eighth chapter of the book of Acts. Thank you, Jesus. Contrary to what the enemy would like you to believe, we are here to help you here to uh, in any way hinder you or discourage you or beat you down. We want to help hold up your hands and encourage you in the Lord to go forward. All right. Eighth chapter of Acts, and if uh, you would look, I'm going to read for you one verse, and that's verse 21. Acts chapter 8 and verse 21. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. I'd like to minister this morning on getting your heart right in the sight of God. You may be seated. The Lord bless you. Now, location in this case is going to be important because biblically speaking, studying the Word of God, subject matter, you will find that your heart is not located between your ribcage, but it is located between your ears. In other words, your heart is your mind. It is the seat of your thoughts and your intellect and your emotions in the Bible. Okay, Almost every reference has to do with heart has to do with that in the Bible. We have picked up through the years. We've seen people, you know, pick up in my heart, I feel. But that's not really where you're feeling it, okay? It's really up here, and this is where God deals with you, okay? You have to get into the spiritual realm and out of the natural realm, okay? The natural heart is here. It's a loud one, too, isn't it? The natural heart is here, and it, uh, it pumps the blood through your system, and actually, they say it kind of rings it through your system. But it gets it going through there. And uh, that's your natural heart. 
But when your Bible is talking about the heart, it's talking here, it's speaking about, as, a, as I said, about your seat of your thoughts and your intellect and your emotions, okay? When it does make a differentiation between the word heart and mind, the difference there is kind of like splitting the hair, but the difference there is that your mind is the thoughts where the heart part there is talking about your emotions. You love or you hate and uh, other things like that, that the emotions, the joy, for an example, or the sorrow and the sadness. And these are terms that the Bible uses. Uh, as a matter of fact, here in this eighth chapter of the book of Acts, let's get a little background here. First of all, in the second chapter of the book of Acts, you have the birth of the church that Jesus started, the one that he gave birth to, the one that Revelation depicts as that woman and then the dragon, the devil who came to destroy the child. And uh, the, the church gives birth to children of the Lord, sons and daughters of God. And uh, the enemy comes, and he comes to destroy them. He doesn't want them to be born into the kingdom of God. He doesn't want people to literally come out of darkness and come into marvelous light. The enemy is against that. He hates that. But the woman was clothed with the sun, the Bible said. She had uh, this great grace of God, this time in which we live, as opposed to the moon that was under her feet, which is the law, and the law being the lesser light. And now we have Jesus the greater light. We have the truth of the scriptures. We have what he has given to this New Testament time. The Old Testament, that law, they break it. They broke it, the scripture said. And yet now we come to this uh, New Testament time where God said, I've got a new will and I've got a New Testament, if you please. And uh, we're going to put this, he said, in your heart. We're going to write this in your heart. And so it's important that we address uh, this heart, that we realize that because of sin, and of course you know from the uh, teachings of the Word of God that man is born in sin and he's shaped in iniquity or lawlessness, without law, and uh, wanting to be uh, with no restraints whatsoever. And, uh, but, but God, in His great mercy and His great love, though our sins separated us from God, yet He made a way to reconnect things. And so He came in the flesh. The Almighty God, who is a spirit, who you cannot see with your natural eye, neither can anyone see him, the book said, but he chose this invisible God to show himself visibly. Again, it's a great mystery, but then again, if you let his spirit deal with you and you stay with Scripture, it can clear up the mystery for you that there is one God. Deuteronomy 6 and 4, hear, O Israel, or hear, church, the Lord thy God is one. So if you can get that straight as it comes all the way down through the Scripture, then you don't let anything knock you off of that. Now, the revelation, the mystery, the understanding of the mighty God who is a spirit in Christ, or as it said in 1 Timothy 3.16, that without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest or shown clearly in the flesh. Okay, so you begin to put this subject matter together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God, and the Word that was God was made flesh, verse 14 said of John chapter 1. And we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, or of the Spirit. God is a Spirit, John 4 and 24. 
So it's not difficult if you merely keep in mind that beautiful revelation of spirit in flesh. Okay? Spirit in flesh. In that flesh that came from where? From heaven? No! Came from Mary. Because the spirit of the living God spoke the word over Mary. Just as he said, let there be light. One day he said, the fullness of time was come. He said, let there be conception. And that which was conceived in Mary was of his Holy Spirit. So there you have her bringing forth the flesh. Because he was not an angel, but he was made a little lower than the angels. He had upon him, took upon him the form of a servant. And he had the nature of Abraham. All of this according to the flesh. That's why he could be uh, the, the root of Jesse as well as the offspring, if you please. Okay? And that's why, because you find your references according to the flesh, the days of his flesh. There was a time when the invisible God showed himself in the flesh. And that's why Jesus said to one of the uh, apostles, he said, um, show us the Father, he said. And he, and he looked at him, Jesus looked at him, have I been so long time with you? And you know me not? He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How much plainer can it get? One God came in the flesh. Invisible God showed himself visibly. People love to say, well, who was Jesus praying to when he was praying then? Well, who do I pray to when I pray? Okay, and I have Jesus in me. I have his spirit. I have the gift of the Holy Ghost. But I have that spirit in me, sure. I'm not God. In case you didn't know that, I thought I'd let you know. I am not God, okay? But I am a son of God, okay? But I, did not, I do not have the fullness of the very God in me as he did. He had the fullness in him, Colossians 2 and 9, bodily. God was manifest in the flesh. Spirit was in that body, not by measure, but to the fullness. That's why he walked on water. That's why he forgave sin. That's why he raised the dead. That's why he did all the marvelous things that he did and, and proclaimed that I have power, all power in heaven and earth. Okay? Because he was God come in the flesh. Yet, he had to contend with the nature of the flesh. He had to keep that flesh under subjection. He was an example to us. And he came in the flesh to condemn sin in the flesh. To give us that example that this can be done. This is a doable thing. And it starts by you getting your heart fixed. We got to get the heart fixed. We got to get this thinking fixed. We got to get these emotions fixed. We got to get things spiritual. We got to get things going in the right direction. Because in this flesh, Paul said, dwells no good thing. Meaning that the nature of the flesh is sinful. And, it, and our heart then, the Bible teaches, our thinking apparatus and our emotions are all messed up because of sin. And we have lust. We have strong desires for wrong things. Know ye not that the Spirit in us lust is to envy, the Scripture said. And that's where your wars come from. That's where your bitter uh, quarrelings and fightings and things that go on in this life come from, from hearts that are raging with the wrong attitudes and the wrong spirits, driven by the prince and the power of the air of this world, the spirit of the enemy, that dragon, that great wonder that John saw in heaven, that red dragon that he's going to and fro and he wants to destroy every man, woman, boy, and girl. He'll make you believe 
like the billboard, that it's going to be a beautiful crystal clear waterfall and a, and a beautiful lake and a beautiful boat and a beautiful girl or a beautiful guy. And oh, if you'll just smoke that cigarette, everything's going to be beautiful until you wake up in that cancer ward. Then it's not going to be so beautiful. Well, that's what I'm telling you. The enemy's going to tell you do it his way and it's all going to be beautiful until you wake up like the fella who lifted up his eyes in hell being in torment. So you got to wake up to the reality here. The devil always paints the psychologically pleasing billboard and the little catchphrases. But then the time comes when reality sets in and you peek beyond the pizza parlor and you get a little look behind into the uh, back room there where the, the, the bookie joint is at, okay, or where the drug joint is at. You, you get a glance at the real thing that's going on behind the front. And the devil is a fronter. And that's all he does. He, put, he masquerades, your Bible said. He puts on that he's an angel or a messenger of light. No wonder the apostle Paul said, if we are an angel, preach any other gospel unto you than that which I have preached. Paul preached repentance. Paul preached water baptism in Jesus' name. And Paul preached receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he taught people at the church that got started in a town called Galatia. And in teaching them, he called them foolish because he said, you're so soon removed from him who hath called you unto another gospel, which he said is not another. And that's when he said, if we are an angel, come and preach any other thing unto you. And that which I preach, he said, let him be accursed. So a Satan can come as an angel of light. He ministers to people as an angel of light. He passes himself off as a messenger of truth, when in reality he's got nothing but commentary. He's got nothing but, uh, but fake and phony and tradition. What did Jesus say? They, they uh, set aside, full well reject and set aside the commandment of God that they might hold to their own tradition. We've got to get our heart fixed. The seed fell on the wayside. They believed for a little while, but they didn't believe to the, to the saving of their soul. The scripture teaches that the enemy buzzed right down there like a dive bomber and stole the seed right off the top of the soil of their heart, if you please. Then the next one, the, the seed falls into the, into the ground, but it gets no depth of earth. It never did get really down in there. And consequently, a little somebody comes along and says, well, I don't believe that. You know, and you get a little persecution from this one and that one and the other one. And you can't stand up to it. And the heat and the burning tribulation of it comes and, and scorches that seed and it, the plant withers and dies. Believe for a little while. What that means is, is that when Jesus is dealing with you through the word, you respond to it favorably, but only for a short season because you don't dig in. Look, this is a great thing, and you can get excited about it, and you should. You can get happy about it, and you should. But you got to tell yourself, I've got to get some depth here. I got to get behind. Uh, I can't just be top minor and superficial, and I can't just get a little bit under the surface. You can't let God just deal with your heart and, and just deal with a little bit. He wants to dig your heart up, honey. He wants to open your heart. He wants to do some good heart surgery in there. He wants to fix, fix every vein and every capillary and every muscle, every part of your spiritual heart. He wants to get the dirt and the trash out of there. He wants to deliver you from sin. And that's what it means to be saved. To be delivered from sin. And Satan no longer has a choking grip on your heart. He's no longer able to point you in the wrong directions and skew your emotions and, and twist everything up. What did one place say? Uh, he said, you're not uh, straightened like a straitjacket. He said, you're not straightened in, 
in, in us, in the preaching and the teaching of God's Word and God's Word itself, he said, but in your own bowels, or meaning your own emotions. And people get all twisted up in emotions, and people get filled with anger, and people get very upset about so many things in life. But Jesus is the peacemaker. Jesus will put peace in your heart. He said, this is my peace, and he said, I'm going to give it to you. I want to put this here. The enemy is going to put tribulation or hard times and sorrow and adversity in your heart. But Jesus is telling you, I'm going to smooth it out for you. I'm going to bring down every mountain. I'm going to bring up every valley. I'm going to straighten out every crooked thing. And I'm going to smooth out every rough thing. I'm going to do that for you. And he does it through his word. He does it through the chapter and the verse and the subject matter that you believe and not just believe superficially. That it's not just a little bit under, under the, uh, you know, they say your skin is very, very thin. You know that? The, the, the epidermis, I guess it's called. I've forgotten my science, forgive me. But, uh, you know, you get just under the surface, but it's so skin deep. We got to get deeper than that. Jesus wants to get right down in there. And you got to be careful because once this word starts getting down in there, then there's the rocks you've got to contend to. And everybody knows we got rocks in our head, right? Oh, a little bit on the stubborn side, but it gets down there in the rocks, and it gets down there in the thorns, and it gets down there in things that, that enter in and try to hinder, and the deceitfulness of sin does not that easily give up. Satan doesn't just run away because you say, Jesus, or because you shake somebody's hand and they say, you're saved, or because you sign a little card, or you do, uh, what are they, what's their famous catchphrase, accept Jesus as your personal Savior, which is not in the Bible, but, you know, it's that nice little catchphrase that everybody heard over and over and over again, and so they kind of caught the catchy phrase. And that's, but, it does, but, of course, Jesus said, you, you don't use my word, you just use your words, and you set it aside. And, and of course, he, he taught about the consequences of that. And we don't want to face those kind of consequences when the Word of God is there for us. And He can make, He can, if you please, simplify the mystery for you. He can clear it up. He, uh, it did say in one place that we look through a glass darkly. Well, I don't, if we could ever patent what Jesus uses to clear up that window, you know, because it's way better than Windex and whatever else they got out there. If we could ever patent what Jesus uses, because I'm going to tell you what, when he takes a heart and he clears things up and he gets rid of that fog and he gets rid of that film and he gets rid of the smudge and he gets rid of all the fingerprints of the devil, that dragon, putting it all over everything and just messing it all up for you. Let me tell you, he comes in and he begins to clear it up for you. He begins to remove all the smudge of religion and he gives to you salvation and there's a big major difference believe me about that I want the eternal salvation of God I want what he's offering I don't need what man is offering I need what God is offering all of us need to come into alignment with the great eternal master I got a mechanic here this morning and he can talk to you about getting your wheels aligned getting your front end in alignment they got a manual they got all kinds of uh, data that you have to line up to all the things have to line up to bring everything into a proper alignment so that your car will ride straight down the road so you can take your hands off the wheel don't do that but you can take your hands off the wheel and the car won't go to the right and the car won't go to the left is going to stay straight and true how much more so when we get God's manual the word of God and we submit ourselves to the standards of it and it teaches us so that our hearts can get on the straight and the narrow and not go right or left which is the broad path that leads to 
destruction, but we can be on the straight and the narrow that leads to those gates of eternal life and be warned it's a few out of each generation in comparison to those that go right and left. You can be among that God-called few. You can be among them that are not only called, but that are chosen. You can be among them that are truly full of the Holy Ghost and living for God. Talking to you about getting your heart fixed in the sight of God. Now people can look and they can say that somebody's so this and so that and so great and so wonderful, but see, God knows the heart. Now here we had this guy, he invites Jesus, during the days of his flesh, he invites Jesus to dinner. I'd like you to come over to my house, I'm going to give you this invitation. I hope you realize how truly blessed you are to get to come to my house. That's what old Simon was feeling. You know, I'm I'm a big dog around town, and I'm inviting you. Not everybody gets to come to my house. And so Jesus accepted the invitation. He goes to his house. And he comes in, and he's looking for certain things. Jesus doesn't see certain things. And he's, he's uh, waiting for certain events to take place. Common courtesies does not happen. And so while sitting there, in comes a, a woman, and she comes in weeping. She comes in what did one description of the heart? It said, my heart is desolate. That just means it's, it's empty. There's not a blade of grass. There's not a tree. There's no fruit. There's, there's no joy. There's no happiness. There's no excitement. My heart is desolate. There's just nothing good there at all. It's like a, it's like a, a barren desert. And... Uh, I feel so dry and I feel so empty. And the wind is just blowing in my life here. The winds of adversity. And she comes in behind. She comes in weeping. And she begins to wash Jesus' feet with the tears that she sheds. She takes her hair and she begins to, to dry the washing of his feet with her hair. And the Bible teaches that here is the smug self-righteous host and he is thinking in his heart as I said you think in your heart and so he's thinking in his heart if this man Jesus was a prophet he'd know what kind of woman that is well that's exactly right Jesus did know exactly what kind of woman that was and one place he said I didn't come for the righteous. And of course he could have put parentheses before that the self-righteous. Didn't come for those folks. He said, I didn't come for those that were feeling physically fit, working at the gym, building up the muscles, only concerned about the outward body. He said, I didn't, uh, I didn't come for those. He said, I came for the unrighteous. I came for the sinner. I came to seek them out. I'm looking for them. I, I've come here for those that are sick, those that, that don't feel well, those that are body, soul, and mind, and spirit are, are sick. I've come for them. And so Jesus definitely knew what kind of woman. He knew her condition. And he, he watched as this woman ministered to him. And she knew her life was miserable. She knew her life was sinful. She knew things were in a mess. She, her heart was sorrowful. Sorrow had filled her heart. And desolate was her heart, arid and dry. 
nothing green whatsoever. Boy, that's a pun today, isn't it? Nothing going on there. And Jesus, Jesus is there, and he reads. He, he knows what this guy's thinking. And so he begins to take care of him in right short order. <laughs> he took care of him real good. And I won't go into all that. My point is that he, he knew his heart. He knew the Bible said the thought of his heart. No wonder the Bible said that we need to forsake our unrighteous thoughts. We need, to, we need to forsake. We need to get away from them. We need to get away from those ungodly thoughts, unrighteous thoughts. We need to run, baby, run. Run to Jesus. Get away from the flesh. Get away from the carnal. Get away from the sinful. Get away from what the Apostle Paul taught in Romans when he said, uh, he said, when I would do good, he said, I realize that evil is present with me. He was teaching in the seventh chapter of Romans all about this flesh and the weakness of it. But the eighth chapter, oh, he, that's when he crosses right over, friend. He brings you into the spirit. And I told you, we've got to get spiritually minded. We've got to get away from the natural mind and the natural thinking, the carnal. The carnal is the enemy of God. And we've got to get into the spirit here. And can, I've told you before, can you imagine how exasperated Jesus was when he is uh, looking at an individual who says, show us, give us a show. Show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. <laughs> and Jesus said, have you been so a long time with me? Are you so undiscerning? Are you so dull? Are you so duh? <laughs> you know? Was he exasperated just a little bit? Did he not tell the Supreme Court judge of the land? He said, if I'm talking to you about these little earthly things, how am I, and you don't understand those, he said, how am I going to tell you about the heavenly things? How are we going to get going here? That's why it's so important to realize if you're going to get your heart fixed in the sight of God, you're going to come up to His standard. If you're going to do it according to His manual, then you've got to forsake your thinking. Your way. But I thought, well, that's what Naaman did in the Old Testament, you know. He's a leper. He's a sinner. He's being eaten up with it. Outwardly, it showed. And let me tell you, when you're not doing it God's way or because you don't know God's way, and that happens. I wasn't always in the church. I didn't always have this experience. I'd never read the Bible. Oh, man, I was a mess. And everybody knew it but me. God knew it. But I want you to understand that that Jesus begins to minister to you. He begins, his word begins to work on your heart. And he sees that in all of your trying to strut around and act so bad and act like you got this and you got that when you know you don't in your heart. Jesus knows your heart. And this woman, if you please, she didn't just kiss the earth that day. She kissed the sun. You ever read that in the book of Psalms? It's talking about you not fighting him, in other words. It means about you making peace with him. It means about you repenting, lest he be angry with you. And boy, she came in like a little child, and, and, and uh, I know I, I've done it wrong. And she got closer down to the ground, and she just got right onto his feet. And she did a very humble act. And you know, you can't come and just come. I've seen people just strut in. I had a guy come here, and he. He was raised in a certain denominational church all his life, and nothing worked. He's an alcoholic, and he, he uh, we invited him. He came out to God's house, and so after three or four services, he said he started looking real spiffy and walking around and 
you know, he inquired about one of our ladies and, you know, thought maybe he'd want to take her out. And I said, not on your life, pal. You think you're going to show up here three or four services and you're going to have one of our princesses? I don't think so. And here come some of our princesses. And some of them are in the making. <laughs> but uh, we're working on them here. Everybody said praise the Lord. We're working on these hearts. We want to fix these hearts. And, uh, in the, and so that they're fixed in the sight of God because He knows your heart. He's looking at the condition. You have a heart condition. And He's looking at that. And I don't want you to suddenly die of a heart attack. Because hmm? the enemy is on the attack. And he wants to destroy you. And he wants to get all the wrong things in there. And this guy had all the wrong ideas. So after three or four services, and he, he said, um, well, I'm ready to make the walk. I said, well, you're a little old for graduation. <laughs> what do you mean you won't make the walk? I knew good and well what he meant. He used to have denominational churches and one morning you just go strutting up to the church and you sign the card and shake the preacher's hand and now you're saved. And everybody, and then, and then, and then of course, if you submit to water baptism, if they even say anything to you about water baptism, of course that's a public declaration. I'm going to show out. I'm going to show everybody that I, I'm going to live for Jesus now. I'm going to publicly show that's what baptism is for. No, that's not what baptism is for. That's not what your Bible says. Never said that. Anything about that. It said you're to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And that seems to be something people don't want to talk about very much. Sin, what is that? And then the question is, what's wrong with this? And what's wrong with that? What's wrong with the other? Well, in your present heart condition, you probably don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's always amazing to me to go to the hospital where people are there and they're sick and they're filled with cancer and they're dying. And, and then when it's break time, all of the staff, the doctors and the radiologists and all these different people, nurses and whatever, they're all out in the break smoking. Isn't that a little contradictory? Did you ever read in the book of Hebrews about how Jesus endured the contradiction of sinners? It's such a contradiction because, because people's hearts are in the wrong condition. People's hearts are broken. And they're desolate. And this woman came in that condition, a bad shape. And Jesus knew this poor booby sitting over there of a self-righteous Pharisee sitting there full of religion and him thinking all the junk he's thinking. And Jesus is sitting right there just reading his thoughts, so to speak, knowing the thought of his heart, knowing that he's filled with religion and he's self-willed and and he just got his own manual and going his own tradition in his own ways. And he's totally misreading this woman's heart. It'd be like a doctor looking at your heart and saying, nothing wrong with your heart. And, and, some, and, and God knows that every muscle in your heart is, is worn out, you know. And that you, you, it's not pumping and the blood's not getting and your, your body's drying up inside. Shriveling up and, and, and God knows that. Well, spiritually, that's what God's looking at. But the religious world is telling you, all right, you shook my hand, you signed my card, you're fine. It's like the guy that told me, he said, oh, yeah, I went, I started to witness to him. He said, yeah, I went to a revival. He said, they invited me. He said, yeah, I did the thing, went up around the front where everybody prayed together. He said, I did that. He said, he said, they said I was saved. He said, but he said, I don't feel any different. He said, I still smoke the same brand. I still drink the same booze, same beer. You know, still, still the same old me. Well, that ought to tell you something. You know, if you go into the doctor with a, with a physical heart problem, and you come out with the same physical heart problem, you got a problem all right. 
There ain't nothing getting better. And Jesus wants to make things better. He's, he gave birth to a church, a body of Christ, and not a building, but people that are called out of darkness, people that got their heart fixed. He binds up the brokenhearted, your Bible teaches us. He does these things. And when he gave birth to his church, okay, just like he did with that woman, he let her, he turned her loose, and he forgave her of her sins. He said, to whom somebody loves much, you know, that's what you're looking at. You forgive much, they love much. And Jesus forgave her, and in her eyes she knew, in her heart, her mind, her thinking, her emotions, he's forgiven me of a lot. When you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you come up out of the water, that's when you're born again of water, and there is a, a weight that drops off because sin has been cut off now, and it's been forgiven. You're washed in the blood. The blood is in his name. And that's why you want to be baptized in his name. That's how you become an heir and a joint heir. You've got his name. You're not going to get nothing without his name. One man told me, well, it ain't going to keep me out of heaven. I'm baptized them both ways. It don't matter. And I said, sir, let me tell you what will keep you out of heaven. He stopped me, looked at me, and I said, not being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ will keep you out of heaven. You're not going down to some trust fund that's in the name of Rockefeller and going to get a penny if your name ain't Rockefeller and it doesn't line up with the lineage of the paperwork. You better get the name of Jesus Christ. Get his blood. Get his inheritance. Amen. Paul said, were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. Baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Under what then were you baptized? Well, John baptized. Yeah, well, John told you to believe on him which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. They said, baptize him. Let's do it right now. Boy, they weren't arguing. I already been baptized. I'll hold to John. I got preacher religion. Well, I got Bible. Salvation. And there it is. And as he said it, so will I do it. The original church, this is what Jesus sent them out to do. First day of the church. First sermon. Peter is used of the Lord, steps forth with the other eleven standing with him and all the rest, Mary the mother of the flesh, the other devout women. And Peter begins to preach the word of the Lord, giving them the first sermon on the first day of the church that Jesus gave birth to. Church being these people called out of darkness in the marvelous light, the body of Christ. And he is there, and he's preaching the word of God. And when he comes to a conclusion, they all, the people that had come from all over of the known world on a pilgrimage, and they got more that day than they had ever gotten in all the other trips they had made and all the other money they had wasted and spent. This day was payday. This day was recompense day because this was the day that the Lord surely made and the Lord surely ordained. And Peter stood up and preached the word of God to them, having just been freshly baptized with the Holy Ghost himself and they were all there and they preached the word they all stood with them they're saying we're right with you and as he preached that word these people cried out this multitude and they said men and brethren what shall we do and then Peter said unto them well if there ever was a time you know if there ever was I mean God set everything up and his voice is giving Peter the words that's in the first chapter of the book of Acts and the commandments are coming forth, and Peter opens his mouth and says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, you're talking about your heart changing, a rejoicing, a darkness going out of your heart, light coming in. 
he's given us right here. What did Peter say one day? He said, where are we going to go? Jesus said, you're going to leave me too? How's your loyalty running? How's your loyalty? Because huh? there's, there's, there's going to be above 500. We're all going to get together. Jesus could have told them that. And I'm going to give you last-minute instructions before I send up high, up on high. And he said, uh, he could have said to them, he said, and, and out of that above 500, only 120 of you are about. He's going to go down to the, follow my instructions, go according to the manual, go according to the chapter and verse, and get in alignment with me, and go down to that upper room of the church house and, and begin to worship and praise and magnify me. And on the seventh day, receive the gift of the Holy, which actually was the 50th day after the Passover, the day of Pentecost, 50th, and, and, and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and be baptized in my name. Only about 120. The other 380, they're listening to somebody say, well, you know, you come over here, it's not so strict. You can, you can do this here. You can do that. And, and you know what? We'll even cut back the percentage. You don't have to give 10% to God. You only have to give five. Just come on over here. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, not so, we're not so strict here. We're not so dogmatic, you know. Hmm. Let me tell you something. What God said, God meant. He meant it. And there are people that will uh, be very cunning about how they twist and rest the scriptures. But the Bible said it will be to their own damnation. But you do not want to, as another place said, be carried away with their dissimulation. They're breaking things up. You don't want to be carried away with that. You don't want to get enticed with that. You don't want to let that get in your heart. You don't want to run to things that would be called idols. You don't want to be, and call them dumb idols at that. You know, they, these things that people begin to do and add into their lives and weights that they put in their lives and go, go backwards. And that's what about, about 380 did. They went backwards, face to face with Jesus Christ, glorified, risen from the dead. Forty days showed himself alive with many infallible proofs. And he's right there giving them these last minute details, sending them to the upper room of the church house to receive the promise of the Spirit that he said, you've heard of me. I've told you about this. I've made this crystal clear. And come on now, what in the world are you doing? 380 about plus go down the other way. Hey, hey, you're going the wrong way. You're going backwards. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? But you know, there comes a time when we can't be so concerned or consumed time-wise, thought-wise, finance-wise, energy-wise with those that are going in the wrong direction. We've got to get the ones that are going in the right direction. We've got to encourage them. We've got to, we've got to take care of the flock. We've got, to, we've got to keep the sheep here going in the, in the, with, the, with the, uh, the little sheepfold here, everybody together, the little flock. We've got to keep making the tracks. You ever read Song of Solomon? It said, if you don't know where to go, it said, follow the tracks of the sheep. Follow them. Follow them. There's tracks that have been made. They're right here in the book. Tracks that have been made. And, and Jesus made it crystal clear. And here they are. They did what he said. They, they, what did it say about that heart? It said, and once their heart was fixed, he said, you obeyed from your heart. You obeyed from your heart. Romans 6, 17. That form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. I and you we want the doctrine of God. 
not the doctrine of men. Okay? I had a woman that I witnessed to yesterday. She's a nurse. And uh, one of those private type goes to people's homes who have, are shut in. And she said she got to talk to me and I got to talk to her about the Bible. And uh, she, uh, she said, I've got a grandson and he just wants to be baptized. He just is so excited about getting baptized. I said, well, bring him to me. I said, I'll be more happy to have a little chat with him, chapter and verse, and make sure he understands, and we'll baptize him. It'll be wonderful. And I said, you, you just come on out. So I asked where she lives. She lives down the street here. I said, well, you just come on out. She said, well, I'm gonna, when I'm not working, she said, I'm going to do that. And I said, okay. And she said, you know, I got baptized many years ago. She said, I remember when they baptized me in the name of the, I said, hold it, right there. I said, let me help you out. Let me help you out. Now, you know, the Bible is true and the Bible is real. And if you study it and love it, God's going to talk to you. And, and Paul, in teaching in the book of Romans, he made it clear. Everybody understands the word singular, one, as opposed to plural, many. Okay. All right. So, you know, he talked about that the promise was made to Abraham and to his seed. That's what he said. He didn't say seeds, and he made that point. It's singular, not plural. Does everybody understand that comment, that, that, that concept? One, not many. Good. Because Jesus said to be baptized, go everywhere, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Did you notice that name was singular? Like seed, not seeds. Like name, not names, like one, not many. Good. Okay. And I'll tell you again, I'm senior pastor, and I'm a husband, and I'm a man, but there's only one of me, and I have one legal name. According to my passport, that's what it is. According to my license, what it is. Social Security, what it is. That got my number. What can I say? I had a guy one time, very critical, psychologist, and he said, I got your number, Brother Fowl. And I said, really? I said, well, what is it? I'd like to know so I can work on it. And he shut up. He didn't have a word to say. Yeah, I was supposed to get mad, I guess. But you know, when you get the Holy Ghost, things change. You know, you get that peace. You get that security. He puts you in a hand that no man can take you out of. Just make sure you don't go jumping out of it. Because it'll be, see, it's going to be on you. It's going to be on you. They were in that upper room, and these folks were freshly filled with the Holy Ghost. They got their heart fixed in the sight of God because they obeyed the Word of God. They were in that upper room because Jesus told them to go there. And he told them to go there specifically to receive that promise of the Spirit. And they did that. And you want to understand, this woman told me that, and I stopped her and I said, I gave her the chapter and verse, and she said, oh, okay. She said, you know, I never did understand because they, the, the preacher said to me, he said, are you, are you married or not married? Unmarried. Married or unmarried? This is her telling me now. And she said, I'm married. And he said, okay, that's good because we don't baptize unmarrieds. That's a head scratcher. She said, I didn't, I, I didn't feel good about that when he said that. I said, well, I wouldn't feel too good about it either. Number one, it's not scripture. So that's a lot of reason not to feel good about it. And I think number two and close to running to number one is just plain stupid. It wouldn't make you feel too good. Now, there was no names involved here. This was just her relating this to me. 
I'm not trying to put anybody down except the devil and the confusion that he brings and that people want to set God's word. They will do everything look like. I've had them follow me or come before me on the radio and, and they will they'll say, yeah, take Acts 2.38, that's right because that's what I preach all the time. And, and uh, one way or another, you know, you've heard of 365 ways to make hamburger? Well, uh, 365 ways to preach Acts 2.38 because that's what we need. That's what people need. They need the truth. They need to do the basic truth. They need to be born again of water and of the Spirit. You can do all kinds of other things. You can go dig back. I'm, I'm not going to eat pork. And I'm not, I, Friday at sundown till Saturday at sundown, I'm going to be like a bird in a cage. Well, you just go ahead and do all that and never get baptized in Jesus' name, never get the Holy Ghost. And guess what? You're going to be in a cage all right. It's going to be spelled H-E-L-L. Or some people, H-E-double-Q. Okay? You don't want that. You don't want that. You, you've got to get the first principles of the doctrine of Christ in you. We've got to do the necessary things. You ever read that? It said at the church, they said it seemed good to us and to the Holy Ghost that we would put upon you nothing except the necessary things. The necessary things. Jesus said you must, necessary, you must be born again off water and of these spirit. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Sounds pretty must and essential and required to me. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved and he that believeth not shall be damned. Well, if you're not believing, you're not going to get baptized. It's as simple as that. You're not going, if you're not believing what he's saying, and, that's, and evidence of that is he's saying to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and you say, I believe him, but you don't do it, then you just contradicted yourself. And we're back to that contradiction of sinners. We've got to obey the word of God here. We've got to, if we really love God, then we're going to be like, Better than Motel 6. The light bulb's going to come on, and guess what? It's going to stay on. Isn't that wonderful? Only it's going to be brighter than the Motel 6 bulb. It's going to be brighter than the moon. This is going to be, Paul said, brighter than the brightness of the noonday sun. This is going to be that marvelous light, that marvelous light that we're called to. And, and when that light bulb goes on, we're going to be, yeah, okay, I see that. But see, then there's that other thing that can happen. Nah, 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 nah. You know, there's that other emotion, that unbelieving heart, that darkened heart. What did it say? Their foolish hearts were darkened. Oh, you foolish Galatians, he said, because you're going away from instead of coming to, instead of continuing on. Oh, yeah. You know, God is right. His word is righteous. And he's trying very hard here to show us what is right. And he said the Holy Ghost is going to show you things to come. The Holy Ghost is going to lead and guide you into all truth, all righteousness, so that you can possess all things. You'll have an unction, the Bible said. You'll have a channel to that heavenly throne. And you can possess all things because it's everything you need is in the church. Everything you need is in the church. Everybody said amen. amen. You know, they, we, we have that song, and we're probably working on it somewhere along the line. But, you know, telling the devil to get out of here, we don't need your junk. We don't need his junk. 
We do not need it. And that's all it is is junk. All it is is sin. All it is is darkness. No matter how he paints it up and, and bull, uh, I want a bull, what do we call that thing? Bulletin board or the other thing. Billboard. Thank you for Bill. He ran away. Where are you, brother? The billboard. Yes. I'm just seeing if you're listening. That's all. Amen. Everybody said praise the Lord. So Peter stood up with the 11. They didn't stop there. When he told them all to repent and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that same day, 3,000 souls were baptized in Jesus' name, got the Holy Ghost. The church rolled on. And every page you flip in the book of Acts, which is the church in action, the Holy Ghost working through the church, going forth into all the known world. And as the world became more known in geography and location, then it's continued. And, and the, Jesus will not return until this gospel has been preached as a witness to all nations. And then shall the end come, Matthew 24, 14. So we want to continue in the work of God here. And they, did, they gave us that example. They continued through Jerusalem until they filled Jerusalem, that city, with the doctrine, the truth, the apostles doctrine that we're told they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine in that gospel that if anybody comes and preaches any other thing to you let them be accursed we continue in the original teachings the word of God and so as they went forward then the one day in Jerusalem we had one of these young men one of these young men and what's he doing well he was given an assignment oh boy he must have felt like a big dog the apostles gave him a big assignment. Man, look at him. He, that lucky guy. He got chosen. I wonder what they're going to have him do. Make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and pour the Kool-Aid for the widows. The widows are feeling a little neglected. We've got a little dissension, a little rub here, a little friction. We don't want that in the church, so, so we need seven of you to uh, take care of this because it's not right for us, the preacher, have to do that and stop doing the preacher work here. So we got to be praying and we got to be studying and preaching this word of God. So we need seven men to make sandwiches. Imagine that, ladies. Seven men to make sandwiches and pour drinks and take care of the widows. Boy. Well, I imagine it didn't take, they probably you know, just got the lamest guy, lame, seven lame guys to do that. That ain't nothing. Oh, Bible said that before the Holy Ghost. The Bible said their qualifications, they had to be of good report. They had to have a good reputation. The leadership had to say, this guy is okay. He can make sandwiches. He can pour Kool-Aid. He can be trusted with this assignment. <laughs> Think about that. Okay. Well, one day, taking the training, taking the teaching, you know, just got done cleaning the bathroom and sweeping the floor and giving out tracts and doing what I did. <laughs> Doing what I was told to do. Can't go that way. <laughs> stay over here. <laughs> I have a zone, you know. I'm in the zone. Got to stay in the zone. But uh, they said, they said uh, he'd done everything he was supposed to do and done it right. Done it right. I had a young man come and um, do some yard work. And I'll tell you what, he did such a fantastic job. And, you know, when somebody does something right, you take note of it. And, and God took note of, of Philip. Not the apostle Philip, but one of the seven. Somebody said, one of the deacons. I'll be a deacon. You do, huh? Well, well, deacon means helper. So feel free to help. A lot of things to do. 
yeah, I'm looking for Deacon Donnie pretty soon because i got a whole bunch of uh, bougainvilleas out there that are about to take over. And uh, Helpers. And there, you know, people talk about the gifts of the Spirit. You, they always overlook the gift of helps. That's in your Bible. Yeah. So anyway, God took note of the job that Philip did. And God spoke to Philip, and everything was sanctioned by the leadership, and he goes down to Samaria. Now, first of all, everybody, oh, it's late. Oh, boy. Everybody, uh, everybody was putting up their nose. Nobody wanted to go to Samaria. There's no Walmart at Samaria. I don't want to live in Samaria. I don't go talk to them people. They're all a bunch of aliens. They ain't going down there. And uh, that's the way a lot of them felt. But you know what? That's why they didn't get to go. Always complaining. Always looking down the nose. Things ain't good enough. That old flesh just crying out, I've got to have Walmart at least. You know, Philip's heart, that thought never even crossed his mind. Only thing that crossed his mind, and you read Revelation, you read about a whole long catalog of all these things, and at the very end you read, and the souls of men. I guess Philip started at the bottom of the list, and he never got past number so-and-so, the souls of men. And Philip said, I'll go to Samaria. I'll go down. I'll go down, and I know what to do because I've been taught. The leadership's taught me. I know what to do. And so Philip went down to Samaria, eighth chapter of the book of Acts, the church reaching out beyond those man-made borders. This is not for one race. This is not for one continent. This is not for one country. I had a man the other day. He was from Bangladesh, and he came up to me at the post office, and he needed a ride. He didn't know where he was going, what he was doing. He had no transportation. He just knew that he had papers and that he needed to go to the courthouse. So I said, all right. And so I put him in the car and I took him down to the courthouse. And on the way, he said, you like Belgrade? Now, when you ask that like that, my antennas go up. I kind of get, I go into defensive mode. Yeah! You know? And uh, <laughs> well, I kind of sharply looked at him and I said, yes, I do. And he said, not so bad people. Steal my bike. <laughs> Be glad that's all they took, pal. <laughs> but uh, you got off light. <laughs> but uh, he uh, a little over the top about it. So finally I stopped and I said, uh, where would you say you were from again? Bangladesh. I said, no bad people in Bangladesh. No thieves in Bangladesh. No drug addicts in Bangladesh. He goes, you're right. Lots of bad people in Bangladesh. <laughs> hey, I'm glad this is for everybody. This is for everybody. Doesn't matter if you speak Hindu, Urdu, or Bandu. It's for you. I think Bandu is what the bandits speak, right? But anyway, I'm glad for the truth for everybody. Why do you think God filled them initially, one reason, with the Holy Ghost, and they all began to speak with other tongues or languages? And all the people down there that was hearts was all full of junk and brokenhearted, they said, what a marvelous miracle. I hear him speaking in my language. He's speaking Hindu. How's that local boy speaking Hindu? I know he ain't never been to school. He don't have a master's degree. What's the deal? It's called Holy Ghost. Yeah. 
called power of God. Called we're going to save your soul. We're going to fix your broken heart. And God can speak any language. You ever read when he said about though I speak with the tongues of men and angels. Now how many of us going to recognize an angelic tongue when we hear it? Hmm. That ain't nothing but a bunch of jabber. Blah, 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 blah. You be careful what you say. You be careful what you say. Okay? Because God understands every grunt. And I heard a guy, we had a preacher here many, many years ago, and he, he had been to American Samoa and been a, a laborer there for many years in the, in the gospel. And all of a sudden he started, just wanted to, I don't know if he wanted to impress or he just wanted to make a point or whatever, but he began to speak the language or the tongue of the people in American Samoa. And I promise you what, friend? I said, boy, that don't sound like a language to me. But you see, God, God knows that language. And, of course, then my wife invented a language with the kids at school. Seba! Seba! Bobo de hebaba! And all the little Haitian kids went, it sounded like their language. Well, you know, you never know what we'll come up with. The main thing is, is they all know Shabbat means look out. You're going to get a, and then there's bakabak. You're going to get the, you know, get the whole little lingo going there. But God speaks that lingo. God speaks the language of your heart. And your heart is crying. I'm desolate. I'm broken. I'm in darkness. I need fixing. I need fixing, God. Help me. Drugs has broken my heart. The effects of it in my family broken my heart. Lawlessness just breaking my heart. I'm, I'm desolate here, Lord. I need your help. God speaks that language. God speaks the language of your tears. He understands. Well, so much so that the church, he bottles them up. Oh, yeah. And you look out when he opens that bottle. If you read your Bible in Revelation, when he opened that bottle, <laughs> earthquakes took place. All kinds of lightnings. Man, I'm telling you what, that was just too, you ever get bottled up, and it's just all in, and all of a sudden you just, ah! You know? That's what one guy said to me. He said, what do you do when you feel like that? I said, well, I have the Holy Ghost. And no, it's time to pray right about then. No, it's time to talk to God. No, it's time to read the book. No, it's time to push back the plate. Got to, you know, get this old no good stuff down where it belongs. Get those emotions reined in. Get out of that straitjacket. It's not the preacher. It's not the Word of God. It's not God. It's your own emotions here that's got you in the straitjacket. We're going to fix that heart. And Peter, had to, he had come down to Samaria because Philip got there. Philip followed instructions. And Philip preached Christ unto them. He didn't come down there preaching Betty Crocker or Aunt Jemima. Neither one. Okay? He didn't come down there preaching Emily Post or uh, somebody else. Dear Abby. Didn't come down preaching none of that. Came down preaching Christ. Preached Jesus Christ unto them. And the Bible said that when they believed what he was telling them, and the Bible teaches that they got baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And when word got back to the mother church, they sent a couple of preachers, a couple of apostles down there. When they came down, 
they begin to lay hands on the people that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet, they hadn't received the Holy Ghost. Only they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You've got to have both water and the Spirit. They got the water part. They got baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ. Now they're born again of water. But you can't stop there. You've got to obey the book. John, here's the book. He didn't say take a bite. He didn't say nibble. He didn't say break off a piece. He said you eat the whole book. Now, none of these guys just eat part of a Whopper. They eat the whole thing. Big Mac, the whole thing. Well, we take the whole book, the bitter and the sweet, the whole book. God gives us a real balanced diet. And you may not understand when mom says, you eat everything on that plate, but I don't like that. See, but... But you see, we know that are in a position to know. We know what that's going to do for you. Because you don't want to be deficient in certain areas here. And we don't want to be deficient or lacking in the things of God. You can't just be baptized in Jesus' name. You must be, but you can't just be. You must be born again of the spirit, not just any spirit. I've told you before, lots of people claim they got a ghost, and they do. It's just not a holy ghost. It's an unholy ghost. And big difference in the spirit and the attitude that comes off of them from somebody that has the sweet gift of the Holy Ghost. And so we've got to be born again off water and of the spirit if we're going to get this heart fixed. And God is in the heart fixing business. You want it your heart to be right in the sight of God. Shall we stand? God love your heart. And I mean that literally. And I know he does. Let's take a moment, would you, and pray with me. Let's lift our hearts with our hands. And I thank you, Jesus. We lift our hearts up to you, Lord, because they need a fixing. They need a scrubbing and a washing and a cleansing and a flushing out and setting it right setting things right in our heart. Putting the right things in there for us, Jesus. Precious God. Pray. 